Hey, welcome to the Female Founder World Podcast. It is Jasmine here. I'm the host of the pod. And today I'm chatting with Sam Safer-Valentine, the co-founder of Norby. Sam, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. The first question that we ask everyone who comes on the show is really just to tell us about your business and what you're building in your own words. So what is Norby? What are you guys creating over there? Yeah, Norby is a community success and marketing platform that arms creators, small businesses, owners, brands with simplified tools to activate their community and grow their business. Very cool. And I've been dabbling in the platform and checking out all of the features. It is a really beautiful and like intuitive tool. So it's also something that like we're bringing into use for Female Founder World as well. Very excited to hear it. And that was our goal, honestly, to build a all-in-one, really easy toolkit platform um, to have many things accessible and not need to use like five to 10 different platforms and, you know, kind of mush everything together. Yep. And that's exactly, that's exactly what you guys are delivering on. Cause I totally find myself like everything is so fragmented. I'm sending someone here to do, if they want to do this, I'm sending another person in our audience over somewhere else. It's great to have it all in one place. We're going to get into Norby and what you're building, how you've built it, and also some lessons for consumer brand founders around owning your audiences in a bit. But I kind of want to go back first and learn a little bit more. Like, let's contextualize all of this. You're coming to tech founder land from a marketing and sales background. Can you let us know kind of early on in your career, what was baby Sam up to? What were you doing? Yeah, I've had a really episodic career, which I've loved. Some might consider me more of like a generalist or kind of kind of T-shaped. And throughout the years, I've come to really understand that as a huge strength. Previously, it was a little difficult to explain, but I think ultimately I am like an operator and a community builder at heart. At one point, I was really focused on being a fashion curator and like an academic. I've published books on 20th century um, British textiles and British fashion designers, Londa Rhodes. I've worked for heritage brands like the Victorian Albert Museum in London and the Metropolitan Museum of Art on the commercial side of both of those museums. So like in retail, marketing, sales, audience engagement, audience engagement, and then you know, startups like Bulletin and legacy brands such as New York Now. Prior to co-founding Norby and really moving into tech, I ran my own sales and marketing agency called Narratives uh, with offices in London and New York with a former colleague, really working to scale dozens of DTC brands and retailers. So I've had this like kind of amazing through line uh, through my career working with creators, creatives, makers you know, kind of small business owners who have actually built some really incredible communities around themselves. And so community building in like the current kind of sense has really come online for me in the last kind of like seven years or so. And I watched some really incredible businesswomen actually kind of build community IRL and online and was actually really able to take some of what I saw there and actually 
helped to create. And kind of when I built my first business narratives, really took those learns and, you know, building a community of brands, of retailers, um, with my clients, with different types of partners. So that's been really, really incredible. And it's basically like what we did with Norby before Norby was even Norby. So more on that later. But yeah, I mean, I think as we, you know, part of this conversation is, and I feel like it's probably been said before on this pod, you know, modern community and kind of brand playbook these days, you know, really is about kind of almost creating community first or what you want that feel and sense to be before kind of like layering in brand. Yes. Oh my God. I couldn't agree with that more. I'm like stopping myself from getting into that community conversation because I want to like contextualize (laughs) this a little bit more before we dive into it. Yeah, for sure. A lot of founders that I speak with, especially like tech founders, have agency experience before and they like run their own agencies. And I'm so curious about what that is. Like, can you help us kind of connect the dots about what you learn running your own agency that then kind of translates into when you running your own tech business? Because I'm seeing this over and over again. And I'm so curious about what that like what that connection is. You know, it's your own little kind of baby and small business. So, you know, in a startup and a kind of tech company too, you know, in those early days when you're starting out, you're literally doing anything and everything from, okay, like (laughs) what are like the ops and logistics to like sales and marketing to growth to, to brand to community. You're working on lots of different projects. You're learning how to sell and pitch, um, how to build relationships, how to kind of communicate, create transparency. I think you're just kind of learning and growing so much. You're kind of like, you're like, okay, this works, this doesn't work. I think you really learn how to kind of sharpen the like, yes, no, or, you know, what's going to bring value, what isn't going to bring value. And you only can do that working with you know, working on lots of different projects or lots of different clients or selling to different people or different, you know, building different types of scopes. It's just like constant learning and optimization. I want to also talk about your experience, kind of your first experience working in the startup space and and what you learned when you joined Bulletin that has kind of helped you as you've grown your own business now. Yeah. I mean, Seeing working there, I I think my biggest kind of takeaways from that first kind of venture backed kind of startup um, experience was 80% is better than 100% in a fast paced startup. Not every deliverable needs to be perfection. And I have always been a huge perfectionist. So it was actually kind of, there was a lot of freedom in that in a way. And just being like, you know what? understanding like what needed to be 100, 100 and what needed to be like 80% or sometimes a little bit like down and dirty (laughs) is really good to know. Definitely how to be in like an optimization mindset. So, you know, it's okay if things don't work out the way you wanted them to. And just in life, not everything works out the way you want them to. Be able to look and see and respond really quickly to like new trends that emerge. Analyze both from a qualitative and quantitative perspective. Really track your learns and be, again, like really ready to kind of quickly adjust and just be 
okay with that and and transparent and open with you know your team, cross team, etc. And I really saw and learned there how you kind of bring your community with you on a journey and just constantly communicate to that community and communicate internally to a team. I think Bulletin did a really amazing job from, you know, pivoting from a co-retailing model, so of brick and mortar stores to literally like a retail tech wholesale marketplace and, you know, really seeing up close and personal how they had to pivot the entire team, their community, et cetera, was, was really, really incredible to see and be a part of that like little piece of journey for them. Do you think you would have been able to start Norby if you hadn't had that experience? Like, do you think that it's really important for founders to have a couple of years working for another startup or is it possible just to go from, you know, like a regular old corporate job into tech startup land? I think everybody's journey is unique. For me, it just so happened that for many different reasons, you know, Norby for me would not have happened without Bulletin and Ali Kriegsman in particular. And we can, we can talk about that. But I do, you know, you see tons of different founders come from corporate and then, you know, fully just jump right on in. And, you know, they just have that kind of like entrepreneurial or they've kind of seen enough in corporate that they're just ready for it. You also see founders jump around from more corporate to to startup, maybe their own business back, and then they're ready. My journey just happened to be, I mean, I truly think had I probably not seen that and experienced that, I probably wouldn't have kind of like jumped into tech and working at a startup. So that was definitely a moment for me. Yeah. I want to chat now about the evolution of Norby and how, first of all, like how did this idea come to you? How did you kind of find your co-founders? Take us back to like those early days of getting the business off the ground. Yeah. Let me start with finding the co-founders and then we can talk about how it all got started. So One of my co-founders, Nick, is Ali Creeksman's boyfriend, partner. They've been together for a very long time. And Ali is the co-founder and COO of Bulletin. I had met Nick just like very casually through Bulletin at like a social event. And I think actually at like a Planned Parenthood pop-up, we'd maybe talked for like five or 10 minutes maximum. I don't even know if I would have like been like, oh, you know, if I bumped into Nick on the street, I would have known, you know, kind of who he was. But basically during the pandemic, I was thinking, I mean, so many things are changing for, for a ton of people, but, you know, I was thinking about maybe moving into product management or just kind of, you know, I had some more time. My business had tanked about, you know, 80 to 90%. And so as many, there were there was time to think about what may be next or a new kind of like chapter, a new beginning might look like. So she was like, oh, you should talk to Nick. And so I talked to Nick and then through Nick met Steve, my other co-founder. They're both technical. And we basically started a kind of like fun kind of side hustle project, basically building and curating a consumer-facing kind of culture calendar. So if you kind of think back when all IRL events went URL, you know, I think we were all a little bored and it's like, oh, like you'd kind of see things like fleeting on like 
Instagram or what have you. And it was like, okay, if I could just get a text message or a reminder to like show up for that thing, that would be great. So we actually built that. So like curating events across like fashion, art, design, wellness, lifestyle, kind of like you name it, you could get a text uh, when something was starting. It was like super beautifully designed. We had a daily newsletter going out with all like the bestest, coolest events. So that was highly curated. And we were just like ending up building a community around this. And we went kind of like semi-viral and brands started wanting to partner with us. And we also realized we needed tools to start managing our own community and kind of getting to know them. And I think it was really at the moment where, you know, brands wanted to kind of pay us some money for the tooling And we really got some like really crazy inbound love. And it was like, okay, okay, okay. I think this was like a moment here. And creators, small businesses, direct-to-consumer brands, those that were just launching, like they needed tooling in this kind of platform too. People wanted really gorgeous landing pages. They wanted campaigns. They wanted to be able to like text with their audience. And we were like, okay, I think this is, this is like, a business and the opportunity is kind of big. So we closed down the community. We kind of took a beat. And then Nick, Steven, and I really got to work kind of building out the MVP of Norby. And I know that just kind of tactically how that kind of ended up happening, like one action we took was really, I mean, literally talking to hundreds of creators, brands, communities, small businesses, literally anyone who would get on a call with Nick and I, like, and we just asked about like their marketing stack, their pain points, the tools they wish they had, the data they wish they had, the design controls, like everything. And it just became really clear the problem that we needed to solve, who we were solving it for. And like, again, how big that opportunity was. And as we just talked about at the top of this, it's like, There could be five, six different kind of platforms and tools that you're trying to kind of combine and understand like what data is happening over here and what's happening here. And I need to actually like connect this and upload these contacts and download this. And I want to just send a, you know, text message to these people. I want to be able to like engage with them more deeply or understand what's happening. And that was happening across like seven different touch points, which is actually like a lot of time and money for a lot of people. And, you know, it's like we were doing this for our users and wanting to make our users really successful, but also in a way kind of doing it for ourselves and the business and the startup we were building too. So I think what's been very cool is we have been able to stay so close to our like first users, our beta testers, Um, And still to this day, like every single, you know, kind of like feature or enhancement we have made, our full kind of roadmap has been basically what our users have told us they wanted. And just like, you know, or our community or just generally in our orbit. And we are constantly in like a feedback loop with them even to this day. Like we just keep going. I'm really interested in what that feedback loop looks like. Are you literally like on email with these people? Are you like in your DMs? Do you have more formalized like surveys that go out every, you know, month or week or whatever? Like how are you getting that information? And then how are you taking it back to the people who are actually like building the tech to incorporate it into the roadmap? Yeah, it's happening on a bunch of different fronts. So 
we will hop on more kind of like former user interviews and we'll have like kind of quarterly motion around that. It happens. We have a Slack channel for our community and we have a, uh, you know, support and kind of feedback as well as like feature request channel. So we get it directly from there in conversation, like our customer success manager, or if you're just on both kind of like intro or some onboarding calls can, you know, have that back and forth and that kind of like real one-on-one kind of conversation. It sometimes happens in the DMs as well over email back and forth. So it comes at us at luckily (laughs) at a lot of different uh, touch points and angles. We then kind of consolidate that and will review the feedback when we are looking at how we are going to prioritize our tech sprints, both kind of in, you know, if there's kind of smaller tweaks that we can make that we can fit in, we will. Otherwise, we will add features to the roadmap as well. We might know that a feature is going to take some more time or we're like, oh, this is a really great idea that comes from a user, but we, you know, it's just been like requested once or twice. And so we might kind of hold and see if we get a few more people to kind of like almost like upvote it. And then we're like, okay, there's enough demand for that, that we'll kind of, you know, start putting that into development. And then there's just some features that you just hear over and over again that, that people want. So yeah, that's how that works for us at least. How have you been like funding the business as you've gone along? I'm I'm particularly interested in because I know that you have like some tech muscle on the founding team. So were you building that MVP after you kind of closed down the community and you're building the MVP? Were you just building that yourselves or did you have funding right from the beginning when you made the decision that you were kind of taking the new direction? We started building that ourselves. We are venture backed. We raised a very small pre-seed back in the kind of like late fall of 2020, which basically enabled Nick, Stephen, and I to go full-time on Norby and continue building out that MVP. So, you know, we started before we were funded and then we got funded. We were, you know, doing some side gigs and stuff just to be able to kind of pay ourselves too. We talked really long and hard about, you know, if venture was right for the business like we wanted to build and also if it was right for like the lifestyle that we wanted for ourselves, for the team and the culture we were out to create. Like we didn't, we didn't take that kind of lightly. It's it's definitely like a certain type of pressure. But we also importantly like really looked at the size of the opportunity and thought this was really a market making moment. And we saw that this could be like huge. And so ultimately we we decided to take on venture instead of bootstrapping, which is honestly totally admirable and so many amazing, you know, like direct to consumer and CPG brands have, you know, even even tech companies have just completely bootstrapped, you know, a very different level bootstrap my last business, but we were like, okay, we're going to go big or we're going to go home. So yeah, we just raised another five million, which is really exciting. We're gonna Congrats. be using that. Thank you. Yeah, we're gonna be using that to really build out our engineering and product capacity. So yeah, our tech is all in house. How have you been finding the fundraising process? What are your What are your thoughts on it? Is it what you thought it would be? It is like yes and no. It's been it's very it's really interesting. Honestly, it is 
equally incredible to like be able to hone a pitch and and tell a story and have that kind of like actually land and like land the bag (laughs) in some ways. But it can also be, it's incredibly stressful. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm in a particularly like unique situation within the world of female founders because they do have two male co-founders. And so, you know, although most, you know, it's like 2% of VC dollars go to women-founded businesses, I have found myself in a very different position. And, you know, that it's still, you know, a crap ton, honestly, of hard work. But I think it has, you know, potentially been a little easier. I'm still kind of honestly, transparently just trying to find the ways around to kind of to talk about that as well, because I am a female founder, but, you know, we do have a white male CEO and I do have a, you know, a black man who is a co-founder. So we're, we're definitely a diverse co-founding team, which I do think honestly is, you know, it is reflective of who our users are, but it is also a little bit rare in venture too. But uh, Nick really has, you know, we're working on, Nick and Steve and I together are really working on, you know, kind of like strategy behind the scenes. Um, But ultimately, Nick, you know, we kind of divide and conquer. And Nick has really been the forefront kind of like out there fundraising for us while Steve and I, you know, run and operate business and the tech team, et cetera. So. It's really interesting. And, you know, like I speak about funding with most of the women who come on the show because people are coming from it from all different experiences. And I feel like, you know, hearing like the experience that you're having, it's so different to the experience that some other solo female founders and and also like you're in, you're in tech as well, which I think that a lot of consumer brands, a lot of VCs don't invest in like CPG products necessarily because the upside isn't necessarily going to be the same or have the potential to have the same upside. So, it's just interesting to understand like, you know, where these aren't hobbies. These are, we're doing this to make money at the end of the day. And so like, I think it's an important thing to talk about. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I love what we're building. I have like the utmost respect for Nick and Steve and just like have even on like the hardest, most painful days, like I'm ultimately like we're having so much fun love building out the team and just what we're doing, talking to all of our users, like it's worth it. But like, yeah, we also want to get rich too. Like, yeah. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. I do want to like, I want to talk about what your days look like now. You're a co-founder of a tech business. It's pretty bit different to what you were doing before. Like what does Monday to Friday look like? Do you have more flexibility, less flexibility? Is it what you thought it would be? Talk me through that. Yeah, I I've always been a like little bit of a workaholic. So no matter what I do, like I have to just be super passionate about it and I throw myself into it kind of 150%. I have the right amount of flexibility for my life and and kind of like where I am for sure. I get really energized by by working hard and being really busy, so it's kind of perfect. I'm just I thrive off of keeping 
a million balls in the air. But like on Mondays, I start at 930 with basically like our head of like brand marketing community partnerships. We'll go into like an exec team meeting and all hands. I'll go into like a smaller team kind of like huddle, just make sure everyone's like really set up for, for the week. I like to kind of actually do a little prepping on Sunday evening just for myself. I find that it just helps ease the kind of like Monday kind of crazy. And then, yeah, I'll just do, you know, some meetings throughout the day on Monday. Tuesday, a lot of back-to-back at some like one-to-one in, one-to-one meetings in. Uh, We have no meetings Wednesdays, which is great. So we can really kind of deep dive on some projects, which is great. Every other week, we do like a virtual lunch. We have this like little donut robot. So people are kind of like in the team. You're actually getting some like socializing time because we're a distributed team. Yeah. I'm just trying. Yeah. Every day is kind of (laughs) busy and back to back. And it's a lot of kind of particularly like for me kind of context switching. So it could be like, you know, uh, Thursdays and Fridays can be a bit more kind of like technical. We're looking at kind of prioritizing sprints, doing sprint grooming. We, you know, might be kind of like winding down and kind of like launching a project. We do Fridays all hands. Sorry, Fridays we have like a a retro. So we kind of like end our day all together doing like wins, losses, learns. But yeah, it's like whatever big projects, looking at growth, you know, it's all the things <laughs> all the time. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting, you know, like some some people are um, who I speak with, and again, this is like different depending on industry and, and also like how the business is going. I think that it's exciting to be busy when you can see traction and you're like moving forward and you're like keeping up with the business, but it's a totally different feeling when you feel like you're pushing something uphill and you're busy because you're just like trying to get traction. Like they're like two totally different feelings. Yeah. for I, I think that's great to actually point out. And I think depending, yeah, I'm kind of like where we are with our with our targets or like our OKRs for the quarter, it can feel both kind of like like that. You know, sometimes you're in a, okay, you know, X, Y, and Z is looking a little soft. So like, all right, team, what are we going to do to, you know, try to pivot that or kind of like push that a little or it's just like a little bit slower to get that project or, you know, that funnel kind of like up and running. So there is definitely a lot of that kind of like day to day. I think importantly, like Nick, Steve and I start the day together. And so we're constantly checking in, strategizing. And then if we need to kind of like pivot or communicate out differently, you know, we really have that opportunity to do that really quick and kind of like really fast. Switching gears a little now, I think you are probably the best person to ask this question because of the business that you're building and also because of your background as well. We're seeing kind of, first of all, community is this buzzword that we're seeing in business so much and some of the most kind of resilient and I guess like powerful and interesting CPG businesses are really steeped in that community. And then the way that I guess folks talk about it is I think a lot of the time when people are saying community, they actually mean audience or followers. They don't necessarily mean community. They don't necessarily like own own that audience in any kind of like meaningful way. They're really subject to algorithm or iOS changes. And I just want to understand like some specific tactics or steps that you think consumer brand founders, or I guess like 
creators as well can take to really reclaim their their social media followings? Because that's what you guys are really all about, I suppose, is kind of like owning that audience. For sure. Love this. Could talk about this all day long. (laughs) I think first and foremost, it is really important to understand the difference between audience and a community, right? So community is our kind of definition is actually like knowing your audience or you know, or the kind of, whether you want to call an audience or your people or whatever, that they are actually kind of creating connections between themselves. And there is like a value add and probably some kind of like rituals within that kind of community. And ultimately, it's like we want to enable creators, small businesses, brands, community, solopreneurs, like you name it, to kind of know and own the audience. So sometimes it starts with, you know, you have an audience before you actually kind of like convert that kind of into a community. And what we mean by kind of like owning your audience is creating tools that actually like empower creators to kind of take control of how and where they're building the relationships importantly. Like it then makes it easier to convert like those passive followers on social media into like active community members. So you can basically stop renting them from big tech and social platforms and actually start owning the audience and like the audience data. So whether that's like, you know, like how this impacts users kind of day to day or the information you can collect. So it's like once a creator starts sharing out their Norby links or like their landing pages or just generally whatever kind of like platform you're using, you can like actively collect, you know, think about like email addresses, phone number, a name, like any other kind of like personal info or just kind of like feedback that you might want, um, like from your rented audiences on social platforms. Like, and so, you know, collecting and owning the data is really like that first step to building community you can control. And if you're looking to monetize it, importantly, monetize that. I think in terms of the steps that you can take to actually own your audience is creating a super dynamic brand aligned link in bio or landing page that has different types of like sign up widgets and can actually capture the info from social audiences, as well as just like passive kind of follower flow too. I think that's like a must as well as captivating content, which is a whole other, (laughs) that's probably a whole other podcast. And yeah, I mean, I think you know, with sign-up widgets, you can totally customize everything on Norby in particular. You can use your own kind of tone of voice, capture all sorts of information that you would find useful to you and your business to unlock whatever growth opportunities you need to achieve your goals. You know, it could be anything, as I said before, like a phone number, a name, an email to like what new products you, you know, you want to understand that your, you know, audience or community might want where they live. Should you be doing like an IRL event, like what their interests are, how to talk to them and market to them better. The more information you kind of collect and know and own without relying on like an unpredictable algorithm, obviously like the better you can start to serve them, you know? Yeah. I love all of that. Yeah. And build 
community and value and kind of, you know, some impact that hopefully kind of like helps their daily lives. I think uh, in terms of really like knowing that community, we're seeing a whole host of like use cases. So whether that's like putting on events that are that are first kind of virtual, that are, you know, now more IRL, that's, you know, really, really coming back. And whether that's a paid or free event or you're creating kind of like unique registrations and sign-up flows in your brand voice or like, you know, creating different types of like lead magnets, you can then like, you know, honestly begin to send like SMS or email campaigns and start to like understand the performance of that type of campaign. We're also seeing some like, you know, one of our users is a podcaster named Ellen Yin. She also thinks of herself as like a marketing minimalist, but she's, you know, created a very like personalized experience by offering listeners almost like a podcast concierge through Norby signups and using kind of like two-way SMS conversations to deliver like an episode link to them each week or customize kind of like podcast playlists based on interest. This is so smart. I love this idea. So clever. And like, you know, just it creates opportunities to like really engage in, I'm going to say the word real again, real conversation, <laughs> um, you know, with her or her and her team. And I think that leads to really meaningful interactions and it builds up and like inspires like all sorts of trust and loyalty. We have users who just like do the like cutest, like weekly motivational, like aspirational, like SMS campaigns that I just like love. Like sometimes they just land and I'm like, wait, I like, I need that. <laughs> or, you know, you're a direct-to-consumer brand and you're launching a new product and you want to drive, you know, like more business on that kind of like first day of launch or you literally want to send a styling tip or you just kind of want to say hi. Like it's super cool to see like what people are doing. In terms of like two-way SMS, we are building out this like really dope new innovative inbox feature that we're in alpha with. And that allows you to manage communication across like SMS, email, DMs. So kind of like watch. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's going to come hopefully um, early summer. The kind of, yeah, we're going to move into beta hopefully soon on that, but really, really excited. And that, again, it's just been from like hearing our users' pain points and just like talking. And it's like, yeah, people are spending like two to three hours a day going from like Instagram DMs to Twitter DMs to their email to like maybe something that's happening like on on Discord, on like in their text messages. And it's like, let's just bring it into one place. And so you can see everything. You can like start to like really see. It's like, oh, that person emailed or responded to an email or they joined this event, they added it to their calendar, they clicked on this like SMS campaign. So you're getting kind of real insights to really manage, understand, and hopefully like unlock some super cool opportunities. Oh, that's amazing. That is a feature that I need like absolutely immediately. Oh my God, that would be so good. We should get you in the alpha. Yeah, please, 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 please. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to understand like what is drive, like right now, 2022, March 2022, what's driving growth and user acquisition for you guys right now? 
Yeah. Basically, a lot of inbounds, um, a lot of referrals, so user-to-user referrals. We have just launched in the last, like, I guess, six to eight weeks, a brand ambassador and affiliate program, which is also, like, really, really fruitful. So we're seeing a lot, a lot of kind of growth there. And then we're really starting to test other growth tactics and channels. We haven't really, you know, we've done some partnerships um, and paid partnerships that have been really, really fruitful with mostly our users, which has been really, really incredible to like deepen that relationship in many, many kind of different ways and kind of tap into different, different communities. But yeah, no, we're really starting to, you know, think about testing kind of like paid search, potentially some paid social um, later this year, but we've been very strategic in wanting to really kind of tighten our flywheel, understand how we can move people from top to bottom of funnel before we start pouring tons of money into paid channels that have like a higher CAC. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I feel like that's advice that can anyone can use, not just tech founders, that, that is across any business owner, I think. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, I ask everyone who comes on the show and that's just for a resource. So it could be a book that you love, someone that you follow, something that's kind of helped you to be a better founder. Obviously this podcast has been really, really wonderful. I really love just because I think a lot about growth, Andrew Tran, his blog, his book, The Cold Start Problem. I really love Lenny's newsletter that it's growth, it's product. There's stuff in there about like retention and churn. There's some really great community insights from Lenny's community that I absolutely love. I'm not like a huge Twitter person, but Nick is, and he discovers some really great threads. So I've gotten a little bit into kind of like some Twitter threads that do have some really, really great insights from early founders as well as I guess some like tech VC founder, like maybe Twitter famous folks. That is great. Yeah, I would say that kind of like on the tech side, I love a kind of Glennon Doyle moment. Same, same. <laughs> <laughs> a Brenny Brown moment. Yeah. So, you know, that's for just general life getting you through. General life, just telling myself I can do hard things <laughs> and it's, you know, it's good to to feel and be open and all the things. Yeah. Amazing, amazing advice. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling us all about Norby and congrats on what you guys are building. It is an amazing, amazing product. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to be here and talk all about it. Hey, did you guys love that? If you did, please drop us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you take a screenshot of that review and DM it to us on Instagram, we will send you back a link with free access to our entire on-demand library of business skills workshops. So don't sleep on that. Get on it. Take that screenshot and DM it over to us. Chat to you later.